Let's get rolling here with a Monday night edition of the Dunked on Basketball podcast. Got a lot of news to get to, injuries that are affecting some of these races down the stretch. We also got to talk about the Spurs-Cavs games. The Spurs absolutely eviscerating the Cavs in San Antonio. Boston now leads the Eastern Conference, something that was unthinkable as the Cavs are now 19-18 and over their last 37 games. And we also want to debut a new feature somewhat along the lines of the four random questions. We're going to do four random players where Danny and I are each going to pick two players and discuss with each other just what we think of those he's going to come up with two i'm going to come up with two and we're just going to say what we think of them what their future is how good they are now wherever the conversation leads us in discussing them please don't pick like some guy in a 10 day by the way danny that that would be (laughs) that that would be nice uh we're sponsored today by coca-cola and powerade and also our friends at SeatGeek, where you can use the Catspace code to get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Let's get to some news, Danny. Where do you want to start here? We've got a, a number of uh, interesting things that have piled up since we last did this uh, during the middle of the week last week. I think I want to start with Paul Millsap. Millsap, because, you know, there was this weird thing where he kept on getting pulled out of a couple of games. So they'd say, oh, he's going to miss two or three games, and then it's going to be two or three games. And to say the phrase that gives everybody cold shivers down their spine, he met with Dr. James Andrews, and he he had he had it's it's synovitis right that's the correct yeah yeah it's basically synovitis which mike dunleavy also was sidelined with for quite some time it's just basically swelling in the knee fluid buildup i think and he already has missed five games all of which they have lost he is now to be reevaluated after a further three games and that's not he's going to come back after another three games just going to be reevaluated at that time and the Hawks in dead free fall right now. They've lost eight straight, including at home to Brooklyn over the weekend as Kent Bazemore uh, has missed time with a sore knee. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha, late scratch with a, a sore groin. And the Hawks are 0-8 without Paul Millsap this season already, an offense that struggles, and then they don't really have the defense to kill people the way they do when Millsap is in. Uh, so while we have blanched at potentially paying his next contract, he still is an extremely valuable player. And I mean, if he's going to miss that much time you know they're basically at 500 right now i said last week oh they're locked into their seating and i kind of hadn't looked at what their last couple of games had been at that point and then i looked down like oh shit like they're they're like in the same really area now as the bucks the bucks could move in into fifth i think they were in fifth for a time before losing to the bulls the Hawks might not make the playoffs. They're down to like 83%. And that doesn't know that Paul Millsap is going to miss these the next three games. Uh, what does their schedule look like going forward here? So you would say it's favorable, but at the same point, they've lost They've lost all these games recently. So they host the Suns on Tuesday. Then they have a back-to-back in Philadelphia on Wednesday. Then they go at Chicago Saturday at Brooklyn Sunday, the spry, feisty Brooklyn Nets. And so you go through that part and you're like, okay, if Millsap misses that stretch, those are all at bare minimum winnable games and some of those teams are actively not trying to win but what gets to be a big problem beyond the possibility of losing a fair amount of those games is if it extends because their last stretch is is rough host the celtics then a back-to-back in cleveland then hosting cleveland then hosting the hornets and then last game of the year out on out against the pacers who could have a whole lot to play for themselves 
Yeah, and unlike these last two seasons, Cleveland's actually going to have something to play for. Now, they're going to be in a dogfight with the Celtics. They could even fall below the uh, Wizards at, at this point, maybe too, if they really, you know, they're, they're going to have to try probably, at least, you know, maybe their last couple of games, they'll be locked in at, at that point. But And then the Bulls, too, another team that's behind them right now, losing to them it would not be good. I believe they would lose the tiebreaker to the Bulls as well if they were to lose that game. And I, I mean, really, given the way some of these teams have played without Millsap, the only game you would say they're probably favored in the rest of the way would be at home against the Suns right now. And Millsap may come back. But as you mentioned, he's supposed to miss at least the next three. And then they have a back to back the next day against the Nets. And then they have three days off after that. So you'd have to imagine that it's probably more likely that he misses four games just because they have that three-day break after these four and uh they could be in big trouble by that point and who knows whether Millsap when he comes back is he going to be on a minutes limit like what's the story going to be there and their swoon really has thrown it we hated their decision to take Millsap off the market take the rest of their free agents off the market and it certainly is looking like you know because they're like oh we're fourth in the east you know we're looking good right now and uh those days are long gone it also shed some light on what they could look like post Millsap because we don't know exactly and they've been dealing with other injuries but that's also true of another season so if Millsap leaves of his own volition this summer it's going to take some serious lifting and they'll have some money if he leaves but it's going to take some lifting for them to be a a competitive team because their core is going to be the same. Yeah, I mean, they're only going to have even $30 million at that point and, and not a ton of young talent on the roster either. Uh, let's move on now here. But first, this from SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the original sponsor of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. My cat likes SeatGeek because he just tried to jump up on me as I was discussing them. And the reason he and I both like SeatGeek is because it's easier and it's a less expensive way to buy tickets. How is it easier? Well, a couple of ways. First off, they aggregate ticket sites together. So you don't have to go to eight sites, get all worried that you don't have the best deal and now you have to go to a ninth. You can just trust that you're getting the best deal in front of you with SeatGeek. So that saves you a bunch of time. Then they also rank every ticket based on value. So if you're looking in section 101 and you've got one seat that's two rows back, but it's also $15 cheaper and you got to kind of decide they actually have this proprietary technology that ranks the tickets based on value. So you know you're getting the best deal in a certain section. So you just pick out the best deal. And now what used to be take you 20 minutes take you 15 minutes now it takes you two minutes if you use their app and of course if you get started with them you can use our promo code CAPSPACE, which is all one word. We talk about it all the time in the program. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So you, whether it's sports, concerts, anything that there's tickets to, SeatGeek is a great place to look for tickets. Download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code CAPSPACE today. So let's uh, let's get some quick hitters here injury-wise uh, in addition to Millsap. Kyle Korver is... He missed tonight's game against the Spurs, which we'll talk about. Uh, his his foot just hasn't healed all the way. Amon Shumpert also missed this game. Yeah, Korver had this issue with his foot, a strained foot tendon, I recall the initial diagnosis was. He missed like quite a few games, like seven or eight games, came back, and then he admitted uh, to Ramona Shelburne today that it really had not fully healed. And, you know, he, he is hopeful that he's just going to miss another few games, but it sounds like at least three games 
that he's going to be out. They definitely missed his shooting today when they couldn't couldn't make a three, although he probably exacerbates their defensive problems as well. Uh, and then Schumpert, one of another guy who they rely on for defense. Now they've got J.R. Smith back in the starting lineup. That means that Kyrie Irving has to guard point guards, and you know that's going to be more defensive problems for them as well. And Kyrie struggled, of course, offensively today. Also, you know maybe in part because of that greater defensive load so and then there's just you got to get these guys integrated in the playoffs i think there's still a concern for Ty Lu about you know who he's going to play you know can he go to these all offensive lineups do they have to play shumper just to get someone who can defend on the court a, a lot of those are going to be some issues that uh, these injuries are going to make more difficult uh what do we have next we can go to the kings shutting down malachi richardson the suddenly resurgent sacramento kings who won against memphis in a game I don't think we're going to talk about. And since we're since I brought up that game, Marcus Ole missed it as well. He is getting he's getting towards coming back, but he's not all the way there yet with a foot issue. Yeah, Richardson had a severe hamstring injury right before the All Star break. Was supposed to come back in four to six weeks, but I think they've just come to the conclusion that why risk it, especially with that bad of a hamstring? That's something that is pretty easy to re-injure. Uh, perhaps his progress had not been as good as hoped, and so they figure, hey, let's just you know get him ready for summer league get him ready for next year and then gasol missed last night's game against the warriors also missed this one against the kings both of which they lost and you're obviously losing to the allegedly tanking kings not great for memphis especially because they had a last second loss and okc had a last second win scoring the last 14 points of the game uh, against dallas to come back from 13 down with uh, under four minutes remaining thanks to russell westbrook and so now the Thunder looking a lot better potentially for the sixth seed. Uh, where are the odds at on that now with those two teams? I don't know that I can get seed specific odds, but 538 right now has the Thunder projected to win 47 games and the Grizzlies to win 45. Yeah, so that's pretty significant, especially because the Thunder just have been playing better lately. Um, and for Gasol, this is not at least the good news is this is not the foot that he had the fracture in last year. Uh, so hopefully he can come back maybe maybe after this back-to-back. In Detroit, a team that has been in absolute freefall of late, Reggie Jackson actually just missed this game against the Knicks, which was a desultory blowout loss for Detroit, just for rest, which was interesting after Stan Van Gundy had kind of excoriated everybody for resting players. And then he rests Reggie Jackson. I don't know whether that was a disciplinary thing, a get your head together, he's having soreness. Who knows? Maybe just kind of shake things up a little bit. Uh, You know, Stan is kind of prone to do that when things aren't going particularly well as they aren't for the Pistons but it clearly you know going to uh Ish Smith and Bano Udrich didn't really work either so uh that that does bear monitoring though as uh reggie has been known as a difficult personality he's played poorly stan's kind of been yanking his minutes around now uh so we'll we'll keep an eye on that one um john henson with the bucks he's already missed two games he's out another week with a sprained left thumb with thon maker getting the ever shorter keith bogan start greg monroe plays a lot but then kid just for whatever reason doesn't really like to play monroe that many minutes so spencer hawes has been getting more time now with the bucks and i guess the upside of that is maybe he'll play well enough that he'll actually opt out of that contract and give the bucks some more cap space but uh hawes not a particularly effective player though you know they might be able to use that shooting element that he provides at center he just if he just actually stood out there and all he did was shoot threes he could be valuable but of course he tries to like do all this stuff inside offensively and then Hawes not a quality defensive player either uh what else we got here which dysfunctional franchise in the pacific do you want to go to lakers or kings 
<laughs> yeah, the, this is big news for the Lakers. It was huge news back when Jim Buss attempted a palace coup to kind of sneak under Jeannie Buss's nose and have her removed from the board of directors. She sued him to prevent that from happening. He then withdrew those attempts. And now we talked about how if I were in Jim Buss's position, I might as well just you know go to trial because what Jeannie Buss was demanding was so draconian i mean not really draconian because it's probably what the trust says you can do but basically to get him out of there but he is now completely acquiesced the trial is going to be vacated and he is now off the board replaced by another bus sibling janie bus and now with genie janie and the remaining uh, Johnny Buss still on there. He was part of Jim's faction. Uh, Jeannie's faction clearly controls the franchise. Janie Buss to be on the, the board and also a trustee of the trust that owns the Lakers. There's three of those uh, trustees and, and uh, Jeannie and Janie are, are two of them now. Uh, she had to sign something. Basically, she would support Jeannie Buss as the controlling owner going forward so it appears the drama is resolved genie bus won and jim bus uh much as the lakers did during his tenure lost then today's fascinating news originally reported by Woj, was that the kings well, no, no, so, so i think it was actually oh, ESPN, stein stein had it yeah, that's right first said that uh the Kings had requested to talk to Sam Hinkie. Sam is living in Northern California right now, and he is still under contract with a non-compete with the Sixers until the end of this year. Uh, so they asked for permission to the Sixers to talk to them, uh, to talk to Hinkie. And then after that news came out, which Woj also said, basically, Ranadive has been searching for an executive to place over Vladi Divac. He's looking to move him into a figurehead role via tweet the kings released a rather interesting statement through sam amick and i quote the kings are not hiring sam pinky and have no plans to bring in anyone above vlade end quote and then Woj, this might be my favorite tweet that he's ever had actually i think it's my favorite is... tweet anyone's ever had <laughs> kings colon quote the Kings are not hiring Sam Hinkie and have no plans to bring in anyone above Vlade, close quote. Parentheses, they're searching for someone above Vlade. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 great if you read it in ron howard's narrator voice from arrested development because that's exactly what it is <laughs> oh man uh and for hinky it's got to be a tough show. like i mean the kings they also said they weren't going to fire george carl you know there's a lot of snarky tweets about times when this king's regime has just completely gone back on what they're saying i mean vladi divats said he wasn't going to be trading demarcus cousins two weeks before he got traded uh so and it's interesting this would be full circle for vlade because the initial thought was that vlade was hired in this figurehead role that they're now talking about him going back into and probably the role he frankly should have been in all along because he was not qualified to be a gm when he started and probably still isn't so but but for hinky i mean this is as we've noted probably the team with the worst long-term future other than the brooklyn nets in the league and part of that doing was hinky fleecing this very same team out of swap rights this year which actually could be relevant looks like the kings are actually going to finish below the sixers uh although actually the kings winning these last two might have changed that but uh and then also 
uh, bilking them out of their 2019 pick unprotected for the privilege of 13 million dollars in salary of Carl Landry Jason Thompson and a little bit more than that in Stauskas but he probably wasn't dead salary at the time no he wasn't he got his option year picked up yeah it, w- it would be super strange to see it happen where the the fleece the fleece er joins up with the fleecy like generally that's not it, it's a it's a strange kind of circle of life thing but I yeah. also think that I hope that Hinky gets a better offer than that because what part of what I've liked so much about and you have to have ownership buy-in of course which is a big problem with Vivek would you rather go to Orlando or would you rather go to Sacramento if you it's looking like Orlando is going to have an opening as well this offseason if you were just a a GM candidate would you rather go to Orlando or would you rather go to Sacramento Orlando in a heartbeat for two reasons one, I think that there's a they, uh, there's a better chance that their ownership is is together than Vivek, just with all the leaks and everything else that's going on there. And second, and this is very very important, I've wanted Hinky his next job, assuming ownership was willing to buy into a teardown. Not that that's the only thing he's good at; he could do something else on a team that was a desirable free agent destination. Because having cap space, which is something that the Sixers maximize so well, is even more valuable if you are the Lakers or the Knicks or a team like that. And so while those major market teams look like they're pretty settled orlando has gotten high-end free agents in the past whereas sacramento really has not yeah like you know jeff green or dj augustin for example i'm kidding uh but yeah and i think you know orlando actually made it to the finals within living memory here uh unlike the kings and i will say this if hinky was thinking about it this fiasco and then them releasing the statement that they're never going to hire him can't be particularly encouraging and you know, maybe he'll feel like, hey, you know, I number one, I got to make a living. Number two, there aren't that many of these GM jobs. But, you know, it's, at some point, you know, maybe he would just be happier being the number two guy in a good organization uh, and making a living that way instead of just dealing with everything you have to deal with it in Sacramento. But uh, and then there's also the issue that Dave Yeager was just hired on a pretty long, high value contract. And Yeager does not strike me as a hinky type of guy. Yeager clashed with a more an organization that went in a more analytically focused direction in memphis uh so this would just be a mistake of the michael malone uh, or a repeat of the michael malone delisandro issues but i mean so and that's going to be an issue no matter who the uh the, the kings are going to bring in uh so yeah uh big surprise more, more dysfunction uh and the, the biggest thing too is that there was i shouldn't say the biggest thing but woj also said that not only minority owners which we've known for a long time but also the nba was trying to get Rana Dive to bring in someone a, a little bit more uh, professional was the word that uh, that Woj used. We can transition from that to a to a player who was born and raised in Sacramento, Ryan Anderson. Anderson was he's of course been now he's on the Rockets. He has an ankle sprain and he's going to be out two weeks, which isn't huge for the Rockets' seating, but could affect some kind of ancillary stuff. And you need to of course have him right for the start of the playoffs. Yeah, out two weeks. I mean that's getting there pretty close, and it depends. It looks like the Rockets now if things continue we'll be looking at facing the thunder that's not a joke of a series uh i mean memphis wouldn't be either uh, but that's a concern anderson i think is his ability to shoot those really deep three-pointers and be guarded by the four is pretty essential to their offense they're not nearly as intimidating without him offensively they, they'll be better defensively without him uh, but Nonetheless, I mean, they don't really have a ton of guys on this team who can play power 40. I mean, Sam Decker is really even their only kind of combo forward. Uh, Ariza is probably a little bit too thin, and he's supposed to be their primary wing stopper. And so then you've got James Harden guarding the other team's power forward, which isn't necessarily.
necessarily ideal either. So they're going to need Anderson to get back. Uh, and, you know, fortunately for them, I mean, he's not like, you know, an ankle sprain. He, his game is not based on like exploding to the rim necessarily, but it, it could affect pretty much anyone. Um, going to a less successful 2016 offseason signing, Joakim Noah with the cherry on top of what has been a bad season, I guess we shall say. I had a more colorful phrase that I decided to bite off instead. Uh, but he now is going to be suspended 20 games. Oh, and lo and behold, he suddenly thinks he might be healthy enough to play. <laughs> so he can start the clock on that suspension, even though he was basically supposed to be out the rest of the year. And it, it gets into a, a fascinating kind of issue that I've been thinking about a little bit in a different context, which is that his the the issue with the supplement and with the you know with the suspension is different if it had happened entirely under the new collective bargaining agreement. And so the point I wanted to get in, we'll get in the nitty gritty with it in a second, is if the owners and players agreed that there was a say a drug regime or something like that that was superior to the one that they currently have, they could have just implemented that right away. There allowed to do that through collective bargaining they could just implement certain parts of the cba and then have this salary cap and whatever else they want to do in the future if they think that drug and administration regime is better in the new cba just do it now it's ludicrous you know this substance which is called lgd 2033 a selective androgen receptor modulator and i've done a little bit of reading on on this essentially it's supposed to provide steroid-like effects without the negative side effects uh which and is still in clinical trials so it's not really like a legal substance obviously and and you know i think it makes sense that that it's banned the other thing that's interesting you know he of course claimed that he took some supplement you know the typical likely bullshit excuse and the new cba at least is going to allow players to make some kind of a defense that they you know unknowingly ingested something it's not strict liability the way a lot of other things are as larry coon called it on the show a little bit ago it's the oh i thought i was just eating a brawny defense <laughs> <laughs> which, which really made me laugh uh but you know for noah the knicks are not gonna be able to avoid his contract over this or anything but and they're gonna try to let him be suspended for less games next year he supposedly is hopeful that he can be cleared as of wednesday from that knee surgery which was supposed to be a minor knee surgery four to six weeks initially and then they ruled him out for the year uh so you know they have like 10 games last so you'd have to serve another 10 next year It'll also the new dollar loss from suspensions next year is actually lower on a per game basis uh but because this is a lost year might as well activate him and uh let the suspension start and the league's pretty diligent about that we had the same issue with blake griffin last year uh I mean, anything else to add on this noah thing i mean you know it's kind of not that much of a surprise because he is getting older and he's been injured a lot and you know at least uh nicks fans can say that he isn't just like resting on his laurels and like you know is like trying to earn his paycheck even if he's doing it illegally maybe that's a slight silver lining and maybe the little cloud that goes on it is the idea that for the front offices that might have been foolhardy enough to try to acquire him you know like there there's always someone that kind yeah. of the, the idea this might give those front offices pause yeah so if noah misses 10 games this year and 10 games next year 2.77 million will be uh, the total cost for him what else have we not gotten to yet here ankle sprain of palooza continues with jj reddick and al jefferson jefferson's looks worse he's in a walking boot and i don't think either one of them has a specific timetable yet yeah that jefferson one was pretty bad miles turner actually said uh during the game which a courtside report i think it was nate taylor with the indy stars said like he thought he heard something 
snap. Uh, X-rays were negative, though, but Jefferson, not a guy who's been a particularly fast healer over the course of his career. And they really need him, frankly, because, you know, it's Leroy Allen, but Kevin Serafin has been completely ineffective. They even had to go to Rakeem Christmas a little bit at times. And, you know, he's probably had like a couple of moments, but has not looked like an NBA player in his D-League time. So the Pacers' bad depth gets even worse. And, you know, I, don't, I think they're playing well enough that they're probably not in danger of falling out of the playoffs where you've basically now got five teams for four slots if we're going to give up on Detroit at this point. Uh, but not good. And then Redick actually stepped on the ball in the game over the weekend and probably will miss the, their next game, but it's not believed to be too serious. Uh, but Redick has had years where he's struggled with his health going into the playoffs. And at least the Clips, that's the one thing they could say is at least they're healthy so far. So it sounds like Redick will be able to get back, though, before the season uh, begins. But they are, of course, locked into that battle with the Jazz for home court in the 4-5 series. We can go to DeMarcus Cousins where they he, he missed both games of their back-to-back and then so where they just demolished the Nuggets in that shocking game that kind of looks like it took Denver out of playoff, you know, not out of contention but out of likelihood. And then they yeah, well, lost they, to they the Jazz. Well, better beat Portland tomorrow and we're actually we're going to do a gamer probably both tomorrow and Wednesday so we'll, we'll uh, have a wrap of that game on, on tomorrow's show. Uh, but I mean, that's just going to be a massive game. The, uh, the Nurkic Bowl, the, the Nurkic and Plumlee Bowl, I guess. Uh, but Denver better win that. Otherwise, Portland's going to be sitting really pretty. Because I think Portland will also have the tiebreaker at that point. You rem- and you remember also that game very early in the year when Denver, I think, was you know was up by like 10 points with like two minutes left or something. And Dame Lillard went absolutely crazy and, and got into overtime and won them that game too. That was one of my favorite games of the first month of the year. Uh, so the Pels did lose to the Jazz today. They are now five games out of the playoffs with eight to play. They are done. They've been done. They've had some flashes of playing better, uh, but... And, and the AD at center thing has worked pretty well. I mean, they uh, they always had to acquire cousins, but there is something about AD at center, and you know they haven't they've been playing like a Jinso a little bit, but it's mostly been Davis at center when he's been in with cousins out. Uh, Damari Carroll has uh, missed some time recently with a back injury. They've actually been starting PJ Tucker at the three. That did not prevent them from destroying the Magic today, even with of course Kyle Lowry out. Uh, Interesting story from Josh Robbins with Serge Ibaka returning, Terrence Ross also playing against his old team, in which basically Vucevic, Fournier, pretty much everyone involved on the Magic said, yeah, you know, it probably wasn't that good of a decision to go with so many bigs all at once. And, you know, Aaron Gordon is really a four. That's, you know, he's much better that way is basically what, what Fournier said. Vucevic was like, yeah, you know, it was, too, it was too hard with two bigs, like guard all these small teams, like in the new NBA, things aren't going that way. Ibaka himself on his return said, hey, I talked to Frank Vogel about wanting to play center, but we already had too many centers. So we couldn't, we couldn't get away with that politically. So, uh, you know, we knew it the Orlando players knew it and Orlando's management really seemed to be the only ones who realized that you know going this big wasn't going to work out too well yeah have we heard anything specific on Gordon Hayward yet I know there was a quad contusion issue but he still hasn't come back yet right yeah he missed tonight's game against the Pels which the Jazz won uh it is not believed to be serious though he did have to take him out of that Clippers loss on Saturday so I think he should be back relatively soon. But I think for the Jazz, it's going to be interesting. How hard do they want to push for home court? They also have Derek Favors, who's been shooting around, but still has no type of indication that he's going to be back anytime soon. How hard do they want to push for home court, which I think will be very important for them. Uh, but, you know, they also have to get these guys healthy. Uh, and the Clippers have an easier schedule down the stretch as well. Um, one thing I want to talk about with you, 
Devin Booker, of course, had that 70-point game over the weekend. What did you think? And, and you know, they were down by 20 the whole game. And that's got to be that's got to be the most points ever scored in a loss, too, right? I would think so. But at least in a regulation game. Um, but probably. Yeah, anyway. I mean, that's like, you know, I think it's like the I think the only players who have scored more were Wilt, Kobe, David Thompson and David Robinson. I think are the only ones uh, and Elgin Baylor are the only ones who have scored more in a game now than Devin Booker was pretty crazy. But, you know, he had 55 points with like two minutes left in the game. And then, you know, he was getting fouled a lot in scoring. But Earl Watson was fouling intentionally, taking timeouts to get him to 70 points. What did you think of that? I didn't love it. But at the same point, I don't think that there's a way that you can outlaw it. So it's kind of taboo in that way but the way that you can react to it is by making sure that he's not the one who gets it so you can foul other guys you could go into sort other sorts of circumstances and from what i can tell i haven't rewatched i want to do that at some point rewatch though at least the fourth quarter probably the whole second half of that game but boston kind of they didn't do their part if they really didn't want him to score 70 points they could have they could have done a few yeah. a few but, more but, things but i mean why why would they pervert the game even further and there was a little spat you know that they post did an Instagram everyone happy in the locker room about Devin Booker and Earl Watson was like hey if you have a problem with me doing that we want our kids to be to be great and you know he Earl definitely earned some points in what's been a lost terrible season for the Suns you know he he is someone who uh, his probably greatest asset as a coach is that he has been popular with his players and so then Jay Crowder was like you know commented on I think Devin Booker's Instagram saying yeah I've never seen a a losing locker room so happy and then booker fired back with yeah you can't guard me jay <laughs> so uh that was that was that was a joke i mean i i like it i i think you know what like it's fun why not just do it if it leads to more animosity like all these like unwritten rules like that's one of the things that's like so sorry about baseball is this like unwritten rules of the game like you know what like it's fun it's a competition like it, try to do cool stuff and if the other team doesn't like it well then they can stop you from doing it you know and that's what I, Earl I Watson said he was like do something I, about it I agree with all of that and I think that the unwritten rule issue particularly in baseball is overblown I am interested in whether the NBA would actually have a of kind of fan satisfaction argument here with the idea that they've always been all you know the, the harumph about Hacka and all that kind of stuff doing Hacka without the intention of using it to try to win the game is a somewhat novel thing you know it's it's kind of the equivalent of doing it out of spite which doesn't really happen very much and I don't I don't think there's a way that you can rectify that you know there are always these issues with with rules or laws in general where can you take out the quote-unquote bad conduct while allowing all of the quote-unquote good conduct so there might not be a way to fix it but there actually might be an argument there because it definitely slowed the hell out of that game yeah i guess that's true but you know what people can remember that he got 70 points in a loss i mean just to do that at 20 years old obviously is incredible yeah. and you know i don't want to take away anything from that i didn't watch the game live so i don't have as many thoughts on just you know that performance of itself and it's a couple days old so uh 15 and 60 at some point yeah i mean yeah that's I mean, what else point. are we going to yeah, talk we, about <laughs> um quickly here joel Embiid. uh it, he did in fact have a meniscectomy rather than a repair as we speculated would probably be the case so sounds like his timetable is going to be you know the six to eight weeks type of thing uh glenn robinson the third suffered a calf injury for the pacers he is going to be out at least two weeks and he was getting some minutes for them off the bench 
exacerbating their issues at backup wing and backup power forward uh, where he had played a little bit as well and i thought this was interesting too albert random tweeted this out from the website spot tv where he apparently has a subscription national tv ad spending for the nba in last year's regular season was 488 million in the regular season and 1 billion basically in the playoffs so 1.5 billion total last year the national tv deals were very profitable for the networks they only paid uh 1 billion so they basically made 500 million and then the new deals now are going to pay out 2.1 billion you'd imagine that the ad rates aren't going to go up that much so there's a, a six hundred thousand dollar shortfall remember that the deals are going up now Six hundred million. Keep in mind, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep in mind that ESPN gets a bunch of money for you know for just subscriber fees, seven dollars a month for ESPN for for most places, and TNT TNT has I think the second highest affiliate fees in cable. So with that being the case, they have part of it is just that they can justify those high fees by paying these amounts, and then you also get the fact that you can it provides a lead in for other programming like a Sports Center after the game or before the game, the pregame show. Uh, just hey. Don't forget to watch uh, baseball this Sunday night. You know, that those kind of benefits as well. And, and just the fact that you have the NBA means that, hey, you know, you're leaving the TV on ESPN at the bar for the next three hours after the NBA game is over because you're too lazy to change it, that kind of stuff. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, the next TV deal is a long way away of whether these partners actually think that it would be worth it or not uh, based on what some of these uh, and then also what effect that, say, cord cut is cutting is having where less people are watching, less people are subscribing as well which of course is an issue for espn and tnt uh wow that was a lot of, that might be our longest news segment well ever, i Danny. actually want to say one more thing and it's the idea that this could have long-term effects in terms of the way the salary cap goes because there has been this long-going trend of you know things moving up steadily and while there are new forms of revenue including ad jer- jersey ad sales and a few other things it's very possible that five to ten years from now we're looking at a league that salaries might be going up but at a, a slower rate than we've gotten used to not even including the huge spike yeah. the last two years and uh, of course local tv deals which come up more regularly are a microcosm of that as well oh we do have one more thing uh we had mentioned before that ty lawson had a hearing on march 22nd he denied that he violated his probation and he also said that he would agree to have his vehicle equipped with an interlock device that tests him for alcohol consumption whenever he drives so he can prove that he's not drinking and it no resolution yet uh, in that case but you know if he if the court finds that he's violated his probation and he has to spend some time in jail that's not going to help his free agent value and he's actually just based on his play this year he's actually been good enough to merit you know a a lot better than a one-year minimum contract which is what he got last year yeah it'll be the negotiations for a lot of these non-premium point guards are going to be really interesting this year because there is a demand for those players and the supply of money could be variable all right you want to start with uh, your first uh, random player after this quick break the answer is yes you do <laughs> But because that was a terrible lead-in, we will just uh, go to this message right now from Coca-Cola and Powerade. So you've got some buddies coming over for NCAA March Madness. 
the final four is this weekend well it would be terrible if your friends get thirsty and you have nothing to give them so do yourself a favor get ready for tip off by picking up a six pack of coca-cola and an eight pack of powerade at walmart you can also pick up some great stats and pointers at the website coke.com slash always ready you'll have some march madness knowledge to drop if things get quiet say your team is getting blown out and the room fills up with awkward silence you can tell them exactly why your team is getting blown up uh, either way it's swimming by walmart you can get everything you need to watch the game with friends and family enjoy the dance gear up to watch all the games coca-cola and powerade from walmart and get in on the march madness action by visiting coke.com slash always ready that's coke.com slash always ready ncaa and march madness are trademarks of the national collegiate athletic association all right who's your first guy somebody that we watched recently and is a free agent this summer jermichael green Interesting. Yeah, I'd had a couple of conversations with executives about him and what he might get. He actually played very well in that game against the Warriors, just kind of finding space, picking up garbage around the rim, hitting some short mid-rangers, picking up loose balls. I have been a little bit disappointed with just his volume on three-pointers. Maybe he just hasn't been asked to spot up that much, but he's hasn't really taken very many threes, right? I'm going to look up how many he's taken right now. Uh, but, you know, I think of him as a guy who you're probably not maybe he's like a more athletic version of anthony tolliver maybe he can kind of be that guy that type of a guy maybe a better defender so someone who isn't going to contribute a ton in the box score but spaces the floor well enough and i think most importantly can switch defensively one through four maybe even one through five with some amount of credibility how are you feeling about his future at this point i mean he's already 27 too i guess that's another thing to consider i feel like he can be a capable starter in the league but being 27 means that other than just getting more comfortable with his role which is certainly possible maybe even likely just considering he went from being a spot starter playing 20 minutes a game to being a basically full-time starter playing about 28 that I could see him being that way but really this is his you know you're, you're presumably going to get your entire prime for his contract so I'm not as interested in the Grizzlies willingness to pay him though he could cut into the possibility of luxury tax and all that sort of stuff I'm more interested in what other teams really need a starting caliber but not a above average power forward which is probably where he's going to settle in i mean he's playing 28 minutes a game shooting 38 percent on threes though only 131 attempts this year which is the disappointing part but uh and and really has made himself into a three-point shooter is not was not that uh when he first was trying to scrap on to a place in the league and he also is he's been athletic moving his feet we haven't seen quite as much from him as just the nuclear athleticism they had maybe like two or three years ago when he first really kind of wowed me as he was breaking in but i think you know something along the lines of like you know 10 million dollars a year for three years something like that would be like pretty realistic for him perhaps all right so is it my turn sure kelly Ubre. oh man so Ubre, you know he had that really nice stretch earlier in the year where he was able to to hold his own a little bit better defense than I expected, played some power forward. But what I've been concerned by with him overall, and you you know, you see little moments, is just where he fits in, you know, if he if he can grow his game a little bit, which he's going to have to, and he's young enough where that's certainly possible, with how he fits in if you wanted him as a starter on a successful team. I don't exactly understand his fit because like Porter is a that's ob- I mean if Porter shoots as well as he has this year obviously that, that's that's a whole different kettle of fish but Ubre looks to me at this point like more of a super sub than a long-term starter even a fringy one Ubre is only 21 yeah 
I've been impressed by his defense. I think he may actually be their best perimeter defender at this point, unless John Wall is really engaged. You know, he's had moments where he's actually guarded the other team's point guard effectively. He has a 7 2 wingspan. The biggest concern is his three point shooting. Uh, 47 out of 163 on the season uh, that's 29 percent trending downward of late uh, only 32 percent last year i th- was hopeful that making a spot three-pointer was something that he could do effectively he does get out in transition can straight line drive but only to his left only finishes left hasn't shown quite the level of athleticism finishing at the rim that i hope for i think he might just be a little bit worn down by this point in the season maybe they you know he hasn't watching him at like the hoop summit a few years ago he had some like really just like nuclear dunks we haven't necessarily seen that from him but i think the fact that he's been able to contribute defensively is encouraging because his reputation was as kind of a spacey guy not really that hard of a worker and the fact that he's been able to carve out a little bit of a role in that uh, after they made the Bogdanovich trade, he lost his spot in the rotation, and now it seems to have won it back of late. And I think has helped their defense. I, I think he's on track. You know, the shooting's a little worrisome. Hasn't shown the offensive flashes. I don't think that he's going to be much more of. You know, I mean, maybe he could just be like the, the guy that he replaced in in Washington, uh, Trevor Ariza. Maybe he could be kind of similar to him. Uh, I think that would be a nice nice outcome for him. I'm not going to foreclose on him being a starter, but he's definitely an NBA player and with the 15th pick you know that's especially given that he was drafted one year out of college you know for him to be in the rotation and contributing at any kind of a level right now on a good team I feel happy about that if I'm uh if I'm Washington right now absolutely it's accomplishment and to do that in a in a role even even just defensively that is hard to find is incredibly valuable and Washington is going to need wings in the worst way especially if they're going to be very limited in terms of the money that they have to spend I mean maybe they'll spend on Bogdan we'll have to see but Ubre is a wonderful piece to have in the in the near term and then you know when he eventually gets paid then we have a different that we have a different discussion but that time is not now are you ready for your second one yes D'Angelo Russell. Well, you really love these left-handed dudes. Well, I guess I had the second one who who uh, can't go right. I've never been as high on Russell as anyone, even in the draft, because I felt that he had so many boxes that he needed to check to become a great player. And he we saw the flashes from him with his shooting ability and with his ability to pass in the pick and roll. That passing, while he does throw some spectacular passes on occasion, just has not been that much of a weapon he just doesn't set his teammates up that much even when he's been playing point guard I think part of the reason for that is just that maybe he's more prone to the spectacular pass than the good fundamental one that just sets guys up part of it is just they haven't had the shooting or the spacing to let him operate and then another part of that is that he's very switchable he's not able to get to the rim and finish he doesn't get to the foul line and he is not dynamic enough with the ball in his hands to force two guys in the ball so that he can then make those passes and his shooting off the dribble has looked pretty ugly as well that's part of why they've been trying him at shooting guard off the ball coming off of screens a little bit more as well and then of course we know that that his defense has been really bad and his athleticism is really bad he has not improved his finishing hardly at all it doesn't seem to have improved his athleticism much at all either as of right now 
despite his great size at 6'5 for the point guard position he has a total of four dunks in his nba career two last year and two this year uh well that that ties in with something with something that i wanted to say which is one of my big concerns with him is that this year hold on i'm just looking at his basketball reference danny larue of real gm sponsors this page i do russell's page i do that's a solid move actually you're probably getting more bang for your buck there with uh with laker fan i that was part of the idea and so what concerns me about russell there are a couple different things one is something you got into the idea of his ability to punish when other teams either give attention to other players or handle a switch that's been a concern but then the other part of it is looking at at the rim so Last year, he made 58.6% of his shots, zero to three feet restricted area. That has actually dropped to 50 basically 56 so it's not a huge drop but a drop yeah, but the it, real it, and real i know concern. where you're going here too because even more worrisome is he took 19 percent of his shots to the room last year and it's down to 14 percent this year in a system that should have a lot more opportunities to get to the basket and have spacing around it and that's exactly where i'm going with it is is the idea that you have to be able to make opponents pay in multiple different ways and he he is a good passer and i don't see the i also don't see the real like the floor general in him and he is very young still he's still i believe he's still 20 and he maybe he's 21 now maybe he turned 21 recently yes he did he turned 21 in february but that idea that you see a lot of times in younger guards even if they can't put everything together right away of like intuitively like they're giving the ball to their teammate in the right place and maybe sometimes the pass gets stolen maybe sometimes it's too slow he can do that in transition but i don't see it enough from him in the half court to say oh he'll figure that part of it out at least and i I think back to john wall and while that's not a fair comparison athletically and for a lot of other reasons i saw that more from wall his second year than i have from russell in either his first or second year yeah i mean wall has been has always been a brilliant passer and you know we just haven't seen it enough from russell for whatever reason and I mean, really, given the way his game is evolving, for him to be really like, you know, a quality starter, you know, above, an above average starter, he's going to need to shoot like very high 30s, low 40s on threes with a very high volume. Uh, I think that's really the only way I see him right now, because I don't see him being able to get to the foul line. He's That's the only way he's going to be able to be efficient and then, you know, force guys to double team him off the pick and roll and then maybe he can make some passes. Uh, One, and the other concern, uh, too, sorry, is these uh, these knee injuries th- that he's yeah. had that I think have hampered him a little bit. That's another concern. I am at the point right now, and I, I would believe that their front office is there, too, their new front office, that he has not been so good that he would preclude you from drafting somebody to fill his niche or his oh, position, however you wanted to yeah. find that. And considering this class is, is pretty loaded at point guard, we don't know exactly where the Lakers pick is going to fall, much less even if they get to keep it. But the prospect of that being the best player on the board and being the proper guy to take while this shouldn't concern them it starts to create some very real problems because you russell is a hard guy to fit in in the first place they've already tried him with clarkson that's had some problems doing everything else and moving him to a backup role is a problem like you could get into a couple of the julia locafor problems and while russell is a good guy to have on your team everybody needs players who can handle the ball and who can shoot it gets really sticky and the idea that russell Russell and Clarkson probably are incongruous on the same team, considering you want to play each of them more minutes than to to cross them over, and they're not good enough for that. So, you know, like, does that mean that if... 
either regardless or kind of even more so that they need to consider moving him, moving Clarkson, moving both of them, depending on how this goes. And of course, there are the interpersonal issues as well. Um, all right, uh, my turn. Mario Hazonia. Just kidding. Oh, just kidding. Danny. Thank God. <laughs> I, I, wait, you, you just go. You just starting to go through the guys whose pages I still sponsor on Basketball Reference? <laughs> no, I have no idea who, who any of those people are. Uh, I know you sponsored Giannis at, at one point. Two years. Um, Jeff Teague. I like him. I think that he can be a reliable piece in a successful offense at this point in his career which is more than we can say for a lot of players. And he's been able to stay on the floor better than George Hill. I still don't think he's a better player than George Hill. But my my concern with him, you know, he is, you know, six. he's listed at 6'2". He is, I, I always think of him as being thinner than I think he is. He's. I think he's a little more stout. It's just the way I picture him is just when he was a little bit younger. But as somebody who turns 29 right now, I'm happy that he, if I'm the Pacers, I'm happy he's on my team now. But if he's demanding, a, a an extremely lucrative four-year deal i start to wonder if if the juice is worth the squeeze even if you can't really replace him with somebody better and this gets into the idea of figuring out what paul george is going to do because paying jeff teague is substantially more palatable if you're keeping paul george if you're not if you're going you know more in the miles turner direction then i don't think it makes sense to pay jeff teague the money that somebody else is going to be willing to pay jeff teague deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do with his game i mean he basically was a shooting guard coming out of wake forest an athletic guy all he could do was drive to the basket and finish he's added a really nice floater he is can actually run a team pretty adequately now you know what he he learned under mike budenholzer in atlanta i think has really helped him a lot and he's become a, a pretty solid catch and shoot player you'll recall that last year we were skeptical of his 40 percent three-point shooting and after a really miserable start to the season he's now shooting 40 percent on catch and shoot threes and and 37 percent overall you can't I mean, I still think in a playoff situation, teams might just go under on him and tear them to beat them. But he's actually been able to do that a reasonable amount of the time. So he deserves a lot of credit for his evolution as a player. That said, I, I agree with you. It really, his next contract is a big part of why I think it's necessary to get the Paul George thing figured out. And then if you don't go with him, I mean, his cap hold is only going to be $12 million. You're not going to be able to get a player as good as him for that $12 million starting next year. I agree his contract is going to be bad. We'll see what happens to him in the playoffs this year. But it's, uh, I mean, you know, he's probably like between the 15th and 20th best point guard in the league adequate. There are some teams that just don't have a solution there that, you know, he could help them. Uh, but certainly not a guy who looks to age very well uh, as he gets into his uh, early 30s as kind well, of an undersized guy, not a great shooter. And that ties in with something that's been a surprising development a little bit this year just because they've had more floor spacing, not more floor spacing than he had on the Hawks, obviously, but he is actually shooting the smallest proportion of his shots in the restricted area of his entire career. And he's had a largely varied supporting cast and coaching staff, you know, over his career. He's at 24.5% of his shots in the restricted area. And his previous low was 31.6 way back in 2018. 
2010-11. And he's making a, a little bit less, you know, he's at 55 now. He's usually been in a little bit higher than that. And that could just be system change, you know, Nate McMillan could be a, a million different things. But if that continues, it takes away a part of his efficiency base moving forward. And we don't know, like he, he's been awesome at drawing fouls this year. If that starts to fade off a little bit, even to where he was last year or two years ago, then it gets harder for him to score. And he's still a good passer. He'll still do well. But it, it's kind of, I think it's a part of how, how he could age that could be problematic. All right. Well, remember when we were like, oh, this is going to be a short, easy episode on a Monday night. Uh, But we still got to talk about this complete evisceration that the Spurs put on the Cavs. I thought my biggest takeaway from here was just how incredibly well San Antonio defended Cleveland in this game Danny Green was great Kawhi Leonard had some bad moments but often was was very very good and the gulf in help defense quality between these two teams was jaw-dropping and Cleveland has been bad at that for for a little while now I mean LeBron is by far their best help defender and there are lots of different issues with with that with where you want him on the on the action but they're just able to get those plays from different guys a lot of it is just reading the situation Danny Green had that amazing help block on LeBron I think was in the second quarter he had two he blocked LeBron twice he Mm -hmm. had another block I think in transition I can't remember who was on and then he had another great verticality play at the rim I mean he is just an incredible defensive player at the rim for a guard and then he also had some great plays where Kyrie Irving tried to go at him one-on-one Kyrie probably the best guy in the entire league at just creating a shot one-on-one and Danny Green just stoned him and made him pass off with no advantage gain it was really one of the better defensive games we've seen from a guard in quite some time to the point where Kyrie was like uh felt terrible and was like shooting a bunch of jumpers after the game out on the arena floor the Spurs also looked good offensively some of that is also Cleveland but they move the ball so well that and, and they do it with different lineup combinations I mean remember at the beginning of the year Pau Gasol was starting Tony Parker still is starting but they were going with that now Deadman starting but then not really playing as much off the bench they've gone to this Pau Gasol David Lee combination that moves the ball just absolutely beautifully and the Spurs are going to get those advantages and while they're going to have less time against second units once we get into the playoffs they should be able to run a lot of those minutes at least against everybody but Houston can I tell you something that will probably make you laugh a little bit considering they lost this game 103 to 74 I actually feel better about Cleveland's ultimate destiny after watching this game and the reason for that is they came out in the third quarter and they actually busted their asses defensively and they held this they won the quarter 18 to 17 after they trailed at halftime 64 to 40 and LeBron James had a couple of really nice instances where he just denied Kawhi Leonard they had the Spurs out of what they wanted to run they actually helped effectively at times they took the Spurs out of their fast break game actually got back on defense they actually proved that even for one quarter they could defend a good offense and they could try hard and LeBron James actually brought the intensity now of course it's maddening that and LeBron he's not going to be able to guard Kawhi Leonard and you know get through every screen and deny him on DHOs he does he can't have the energy to do that all game but and there's another great play where, that he had where he knew exactly the out of bounds plays that they were going to run and so he 
switched on to the big who is setting the screen so that he could then switch on to I think it was Manu Ginobili going out in the corner denied Manu Ginobili and, and made them throw the ball away out of bounds uh and it still bears repeating that LeBron is one of the smartest guys we've ever seen in the NBA so yeah they got killed it's not encouraging but they've been playing so badly defensively that even just seeing them play at the requisite intensity for one quarter is I mean I'm not saying that like oh yeah they're going to be fine now but just showing that they still have that uh, was an improvement over where they've been absolutely especially considering they're not going to need to bring it that often to make it out of the east they are it's going to be a tougher road than it's been the last few years assuming they get you know at least reasonable injury balance with everything and they've had some amazing injury luck over the last couple of years especially in 2015 but they are going to get pushed and they are going to need to summon this for a fourth quarter ever a couple times at least in the in the second two you know in the second and third round and it was good to see that they still have something close to their fastball how much they can do that considering their current personnel is a very very big question and part of the reason why i am very skeptical at this point about their prospects in the finals against the best teams in the west but it's still comforting to see it now a couple of things to note here the Cavs went four out of 26 on threes two out of 15 in the first half you know so if they and they're down 24 you know they still would have been down by 15 if they'd made you know three more threes for kind of a more normal number and obviously this is one of the greatest three-point shooting teams that we've seen they were completely unable to get to the foul line that's obviously something that they really rely on the Spurs of course for years and years have been legendary about not fouling the other team and then the Spurs were only seven out of 26 on threes themselves and although the Spurs attempts I thought actually in large part were harder uh, especially in the second half than the Cavs were uh, but this Spurs team, I mean, the defense they played on the Cavs, I mean, yeah, that shooting was bad, but you know, they played great individual defense on Kyrie. Kawhi is probably the best against LeBron. They were not able to get those switches that they like to get with running the small, small pick and rolls. Uh, Kevin Love, not able to really get going from three. J.R. Smith was one out of six from three as well. And, and maybe the game looks a lot different if those guys are, are hitting their shots. Uh, but I mean, considering what, like, I mean, because you would think, for example, I tweeted this a couple of times, like, oh, it's Fry and Love in the game. Like, how the hell are they going to guard these guys? With It's Pau Gasol and it's David Lee and it's Marcus Aldridge. And those guys actually defended them at the three-point line. And it helps that they don't have to help as much at the rim because Kawhi Leonard is not going to get steamrolled by LeBron James and Danny Green can stay in front of Kyrie Irving better than a lot of players can. But, like, their bigs were pretty good. I mean, Pau Gasol got scored on a few times at the rim, but at least he was there uh it's just very impressive performance and just what pop is able to get out of these former defensive liabilities as bigs i mean i was listening to espn radio which is always a, a fine podcast with emil haas and brian windhorse and, and mark stein but i gotta take issue with the fact that they didn't even mention greg popovich in the coach of the year discussion and considering he's widely considered the best coach in the game and to get this defensive performance out of this roster is just absolutely absolutely masterful one other point i wanted to mention is that while I thought San Antonio overall did a good job getting back in transition defense. They also out offensive rebounded the the Cavs. And while Cleveland really only has Tristan doing that, it it's still yeah. notable Cleveland's when you think about Cleveland's been bad the on the defensive glass, yeah. uh, especially with Love out. Although Love was in for a lot of this game, he's played twenty seven minutes. He's been cleared now to play on back to backs. Yeah, so I, I just thought that I thought that was interesting. There was one in particular where it, it ended up on a switch. Lamarcus had J.R. Smith on him, and he just basically big manned him. He grabbed the ball over him and just threw it back in. And those are. Gonna happen especially on a switch happy team 
game, but the Spurs being able to get 10 of those in this game and still be as as solid as they were most of the game in transition defense is a reminder of their viability in that way. The other thing we should mention is that as good as the Cavaliers D was in the third quarter when they're already down by 24 it was just so bad transition and the Spurs got 22 fast break points this is not a team that gets out on the break it any longer Tony Parker is not that guy anymore and the Cavaliers had one steal and zero blocks in the first half of play and overall forced only two Spurs turnovers and uh, that that was a big reason why San Antonio was able to be so efficient running out to uh, 64 points on 47 possessions in that first half it's also pretty amazing Deadman getting 8 and 13 in just 20 minutes like I, I don't I think that he will have a limited role in the playoffs but he can play that limited role well All right, are we about done here? Yeah. I think so. All right. Well, this was a fun one. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Going to do Gamer. And then also Wednesday, big day, we're going to do Twitter NBA show second screen from our brand new studio, which is actually my office and my apartment for Spurs and Warriors. Looks as of now that both of those teams are going to be playing. So check that out. 930 Eastern, 630 Pacific. And then we'll, of course, have it dunked on that night with a full wrap up of the night's action as well. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget about our sponsor SeatGeek use that cap space code to get $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Also, thank you for Coca-Cola and Powerade for sponsoring today's show. Do yourself a favor and be ready to watch all the games by picking up a six-pack of Coca-Cola and an eight-pack of Powerade at Walmart. When you pick up Coca-Cola and Powerade at Walmart, you're always ready for tip-off. Plus, you can get on, on the NCAA March Madness action by visiting coke.com slash alwaysready. NCAA and March Madness are trademarks of the National Collegiate Athletic Associations.